Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. The information infrastructure system is global in nature, built on the back of hardware and software that is built mostly for a commodity market. This means hardware and software are designed once and sold globally. How can we get a real certifiable level of comfort and trust from companies who make these technologies? What are the technical and engineering components of a digital trust and safety network? Can we make it easier for customers to manage the vulnerabilities of an internet-enabled device? Could the ability to integrate security and privacy into mobile devices end up being something that tech companies compete on to benefit consumers? Today's guest is Adam Glodner, co-chair of an organization that opened its doors last fall called Trusted Future. It is a collaboration of many sage technology policy experts, researchers, and legal experts to allow them to discuss and promote best practices to create a better level of trust of our devices and future emerging technologies. Adam is co-founder and CEO of Vortex Strategy Consulting, and he's also a managing partner at AMG Global Cybersecurity Law. He's also an adjunct law professor at George Mason University. Adam served as chief of staff at the Department of Justice Antitrust Division from 1997 to 2001. Adam joins the podcast to talk about Trusted Future's mission and how we can improve consumer trust and safety around both today's technologies and innovations in the future. Adam, thank you for joining us today on Explain to Shane. You announced a new organization last fall to bring more experts, research, and best practices to the forefront of the conversation around the importance of the digital ecosystem called the Trusted Future. So what are your goals with this organization? Well, Shane, first of all, thanks for uh, having me. It's just a pleasure to be here with you. You know, Trusted Future is an organization that's really focused on this gap in effect between the level of trust that everyone has in uh, current technologies and um, when we think about emerging technologies like 5G, 6G, AI, quantum, um, and um, you know, new functionality in satellites, that people really uh, need to feel that they can trust products, services, and companies in order to fully utilize the opportunities that these new uh, tools bring to all of our lives. So it's really a group that's that's focused on how do we build trust into product services and companies. And it's really a two-sided thing. On the one hand, what are those indicia or indications of trust that producers of products and services can state that they follow. Uh, Almost like a LED for green buildings. These are the kinds of things that we are building into our product set that can give comfort to the user, that it's something which you can put in your infrastructure, uh, something that you can trust. On the other side of that two-sided marketplace in effect, are things that users of products, whether you're enterprise or consumer, critical infrastructure, military or intelligence networks, can say, these are things that I need uh, in order to feel comfortable to put your product or service into my infrastructure. And one would have thought that we have done this you know, over the past 20 or 30 years. But I think it really turns out that we have done this in a very siloed way. Uh, we have best practices for software development practices. Best practices are beginning in supply chain. We have some things in privacy, which really are tied to regulations like the GDPR. 
Um, we have some practices that companies have set up internally for internal governance around how many people do we have who are focused on product security or vulnerability hunting and then vulnerability disclosure management. Uh, who has the ability to push the stop button before you ship a product if there are security issues? What are our relations to particular governments around the world? Uh, and what are our relations to others in industry to create something of a collective defense? Each of these has some siloed set of best practices, but we haven't really put it together really in a framework, what I'm calling a trust framework, to say, here are some tractable numbers indicators or indicia of trust that one can look at in order to decide something that's really pretty simple. It's a simple question. Do I trust this product, service, or company to be in my infrastructure and to protect my operations, my data, my customers, and my partners' uh, information and operations? And we all run on networks today uh, both IT networks and powered by data. And now we're doing analytics and data in AI and everything else. So it's like, how do we trust this future based on uh, these indicia or indicators of trust? Now, today, as I said, yeah, one would have thought that we did it. But when you talk to chief information security officers at major companies, what they end up doing is exchanging 50-page questionnaires with each other uh, about what do you do to protect your enterprise or data. And what really, when you talk to them, they say they're not really very useful. We all fill them out and we all find a way to say yes to everything that's being asked. And they probably move the needle a little bit. But it doesn't give you the real ability to get that level of comfort. In fact, what I found in my you know, 20 plus years uh, sort of uh, working in these fields is that in order for me to get to that comfort level, it, it actually takes sitting down or having a conversation with the chief information security officer of the company that you think that you might do business with, whether it's a product or service, and getting you know, a feeling, a gestalt about whether or not the person and the company is clueful or clueless, and whether they have the ability to manage things when things go sideways, because you know things will go sideways. And so, so it's not a if, it's a when and what one does when, it, what, when something happens. So what we're building out in this trust framework under Trusted Future is finding some tractable way of building out these indicators of trust that will actually allow both producers and users to make informed decisions and move the needle going forward. When these things are useful, move the needle. That's what it's all about. Move the needle on uh, the existing product set and emerging technologies. I find that really interesting for two reasons. One is that the legal documents helped maybe build a better floor to who you do business with, because we know that the sales guys that you and I've worked with for a long time, half the time you're like, I hear the words you're saying, but do you understand what they mean? Right. You know, so the analytics are also really important to say, like, are you actually getting us to a safer environment with the jizzy what's whatever they're like, you know, they're yapping about it, whatever sales conference you're at. That's interesting. So who are you engaging in this new organization? 
Well, I think we have a, you know, we have a terrific, uh, you know, advisory board, and then we're going to be reaching out. Some people on the advisory board uh, chain that you may know, my co-chair, Jim Kohlenberger, who's worked in technology uh, for 30 years or so, uh, many positions in uh, in the White House, and uh, really a terrific head on, on global technology policy. Uh, also on our advisory board, Admiral Mike Rogers, who is the former uh, head of the National Security Agency and lightweight, sorry, yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and U.S. Cyber Command. Uh, Maureen Olhausen, uh, who's terrific, an old friend, who's a former um, Federal Trade Commission uh, commissioner and acting chair. Danny Weitzner, who is at uh, MIT and a former White House and Commerce Department official who focuses a lot on, on privacy. Karen Kornblue, who's a, a former ambassador to the OECD, who focuses on global issues around technology, uh, a lot on the privacy front and uh, international relations. Uh, and Smitty Smith, who is a technology telecommunications, former FCC official, um, our members on our advisory uh, board. So we, I think we have put together a pretty good and wide-ranging uh, r- slate of people to help think through these issues. And then as we build out uh, this trust framework, we'll really be working with the best minds we can find uh, in the chief information security officer uh, ranks from global companies, from small companies, medium-sized companies, to help us think through tractable things. We really just want tractable things, um, along with um, companies that are making emerging technologies. And of course, part of this is to get ahead of the curve. It doesn't make any sense to work on something that's trying to deal with yesterday's problem. Um, we need to bring everyone along in today's problem. But you know, when you think about the big issues of today, um, for me, a fundamental question is, is the global information infrastructure. We're sort of sliding towards a balkanization of the network, which is quite different from where we've been going for the last 35 years, where um, we've been driving technology into infrastructure around the world, which has improved, I think, without a doubt, education, information, healthcare, uh, efficiency, um, and brought to over three you know, billion people the ability to be part of this global information uh, information infrastructure. And today we really question because of ge- geopolitical and security issues and privacy issues and values about whether um, we trust products or services from particular geolocations, whether we will sort of each pull back to our um, to our corners and only use products or services that are built in the West or built in China or Russia. And there are real global implications to all of this stuff. So I think when you ask the question about what does a trusted future look like, uh, this fundamental question of emerging technologies from my own perspective, finding paths forward that work through this very tough issue set to get to a place where you can actually trust a product or service to be embedded within your infrastructure is helpful when trying to figure out what the future looks like. So to me, um, it's not just a current 
you know, what does it mean for a particular product or service today? It means that, but it means something more. It means what does this look like for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years when one thinks about what does this information technology world look like? You had a piece recently in Dark Reading where you talked about the importance of offensive uh, say creativity when you're doing the engineering system versus defense. And, and that means really forethought and, you know, what we're doing. And, and we have that currently uh, in a lot of our devices. I know mobiles like become the center of my world more so than anything else. So explain why you included that in that article. I thought that was interesting. Oh, thanks, Shane. I mean, look, I mean, uh, you know, I think it's it's something that be, has become a refrain uh, within uh, people within the security community that the advantage goes to the to to, to the offense, um, not to the defense. And what what we mean by that is that if you're um, someone who wants to break into a network, who wants to steal information, who wants to turn uh, an, a network off, turn devices into bricks. Uh, it's way easier to do that uh, than it is to defend against that. And, and really, that's uh, true for a number of reasons. It's true because software, by its nature, is an engine engineering exercise. Uh, it's not a civil engineering exercise like building a bridge, which is math. Uh, it's actually a different exercise, uh, which is a logic exercise. It's more, it's more art than it is science, really, to code. And so there are always some things which will be what one calls bugs in products or vulnerabilities that um, someone who's looking for them may be able to exploit. Um, it's just because this is the way that we build. We're getting much better at uh, building code, which is uh, much more secure from the start. And that is part of what we're doing with the trust framework. But just as a technical matter, uh, because uh, software engineering is different than civil engineering, and even civil engineering, you know, sometimes bridges fall down, you have that sort of technical issue, which which when someone's trying to exploit shows the offenses there. The, the other point is that, look, we are all human. And most these days, most of the exploits that uh, people who are, whether we call them uh, bad guys or malicious actors, try to do is what we call social engineering. That is, they're trying to fall, get us to fall for a trick. They're trying to get us to think that an email from a crook is actually an email from a colleague. And to um, particularly when it says, act, you know, this is urgent. Uh, you always want to be a good colleague and you want to act on something that's urgent. So you sort of just want to click on that link and, you know, say, I'm, you know, I'm on it. That's trying to trick you to go to a place that when you click it will embed malware onto your mobile device if your mobile device allows you to do that. Or if you're working from the desktop, if your desktop allows you to do that and doesn't have built-in defenses that, um, that um, can catch that uh, problem right away. And something like, um, uh, you know, more than 75% of the approaches to that lead to exploits of vulnerabilities uh, across the the infrastructure come from these social engineering methodologies that whether it's a criminal gang trying to steal your money or a nation state trying to steal your information or some blended threat as part of a actual war uh, will try to either obfuscate um, your ability to use something 
or try to actually shut down your infrastructure, start with something that's actually pretty simple. It's trying to trick you into something. And so if you're the defender, you have to think about ways to make that not possible. And one of the things, a principle which I've sort of picked up over uh, 20 years, which I really think is true, you know, you shouldn't have to be a chief information security officer, a CISO, to defend a network. If you're an individual or if you're a small business or medium-sized business, and even if you're defending a large enterprise, uh, there you probably do have a CISO. But the idea that, you know, that, that, that people who are not security experts and by the way, I mean, it's a relatively small group of people who, you know, really can defend a network against a well thought out adversary and certainly a nation state. And we have, you know, a dearth of cyber experts where in the U.S. we're about 500,000 uh, behind what we need for cybersecurity and around the world about 3 million behind. And then you say, oh, by the way, you all have to be CISOs in order just to use your devices. That can't scale. And so, you know, there are some companies that are getting ahead of the curve and building in security from the start. And I think that's critical. And that's part of what we're focusing on from the trusted future and trust framework perspective is how do you build in things that are good security practices that don't let you fall for tricks. I mean, the things that are sort of driving the exploits today. And how do we um, help make products and services usable without having to be a CISO? So I think that's an important point. So to your question, long-winded answer perhaps of, um, you know, of, of this question of offense versus defense. And right now, clearly, um, the, uh, the, the the scales were on the side of the offense. Um, that's just the world that we live in. The point about the CISOs is you want to explain to them that the intent of the criminals has never changed. The tool sets have changed and their biggest challenge is actually the humans, not the machines, <laughs> because the humans will fall for all these things. And no matter how many traps you try to put up to say, don't go there, they've done such a good job. And that is the you know, net positive negative of, of some machine learning is they, you know, they figure out how the top of the house talks and then they emulate that in the emails. And people are like, no one falls for that. And you're like, people fall for that all the time, right? It's unfortunate. Tim Cook was in Washington last week and he was talking a little bit about this, but in the in the more of the essence of privacy as well as security. So when he was, uh, IAPP was in town, I'm sure most of my listeners will know what that is. So he said the privacy and the security around the devices, they hold so much importance to our lives because they're, you know, both enterprise and you know, individuals were walking around. I know if I, if I don't know where my phone is for five minutes, I'm like, I've lost my child. And he mentioned some of the tech antitrust proposals that are up in Congress. And you've kind of alluded to some of this challenge, but this concept of mobile app stores for having to sideload and provide any type of software on a device. Why is that such a problem? Great question. So, I mean, I start from, you know, fr from the perspective of uh, policymakers really need to understand um, the technical and practical and global implications of any policy that affects security or privacy and technology. And, you know, I think we, the policymakers need to apply uh, what I call a um, security and privacy screen to any policy. Um, I start from the proposition that commercial IT products are built once and sold globally. Uh, that's how um, you know the, the industry works. That's how 
um, how um, one drives security and privacy into the infrastructure. It's the same product everywhere. And as you said, it's the same product in the enterprise, the consumer network, critical infrastructure, the intelligence network, and the military network. So if you create some policy that affects a product that is built once sold globally, you are in effect cre creating something that impacts uh, the global infrastructure. So you better be really understand what the impact of policies are. So I think these uh, proposals, um, you know, in Congress, which some people call antitrust, some people call competition policy, you know, from my perspective, really are more competition policy or economic policy uh, proposals than they are antitrust. I think antitrust, you know, traditionally has been constitution-like in nature. Um, they're really voluntary proposals than they are something where you have a court decide that someone has violated the antitrust law and then created a remedy that's tied to the violation of the antitrust laws which this is not, because it's not a situation where any particular actor, including you mentioned, you know, Apple CEO being in town, you know, including Apple, their latest case coming from the West Coast, where they were not found to have had a, uh, a monopoly which violated the antitrust law. And so one has to look at these proposals, this one you're talking about, the, about, about, quote, sideloading or forcing mobile device creators to allow any app um, onto the device, you have to figure out what the technical and, and practical Im import of that. And if you step back and think about this and you say, well, you know, there are millions of apps, there are, there are, there are hundreds of thousands of apps in, that are coming from Russia, coming from China, the app stores reject, you know, more than 700,000 apps a year because they would violate security or privacy policies. And then you say, you must allow these unvetted apps onto uh, the ecosystem, into the ecosystem and infrastructure. You know, I think in any objective sense, my, my own view is that it's, it's not good for security. And so you have to say, um, okay, I've got a policy choice. My policy choice in some way is not good for security. Is that good or bad policy? Um, and I think you could really run into um, non-trivial unintended consequences of undermining security and privacy into the infrastructure to take unvetted apps and put them into the ecosystem. You know, one just very sort of top level way of thinking about that is that security agencies around the world for the past five years have looked at this growing threat to the mobile uh, ecosystem and the use of social engineering to trick people to download malware, which will then steal information um, or be able to shut down devices. And pretty much across the board, they've all said, this is a bad policy. If you look at what the National Security Agency, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, the Federal Trade Commission, the UK's National Cyber Security Center, the uh, Europol, the Indian uh, CERT, they've all said best practice only download from official app stores. And what they're talking about is that they have seen where you can download uh, apps from that have not gone through the security check which official app stores go through that 
you can easily be tricked into clicking on a link that will then download malware onto your device, which will then be able to steal or brick it. And so these are just practical and real consequences of here what are really uh, policy choices, economic policy choices, as opposed to a law enforcement remedy for something that comes out of a traditional antitrust case. Um, so I think these are you know, important things that, uh, that people might uh, you know, have to think about and then make sure, I think, protect against these unintended consequences. Uh, the other thing I think about uh, the proposals, which as I say, in my mind, more economic policy or competition policy than antitrust proposals, are when you think about what's happening in the marketplace, we for 20 years have been saying to companies, um, we as security professionals and policy people have been saying, you should compete on security and privacy. That is, you should drive security and privacy into your product set. You should do security built in, not bolted on. This is a refrain that we all know. Uh, Shane, you know, I, I know. For the last 20 years, we've been saying. And we also want to make sure from a broad policy perspective that we don't have a, I think, a policy proposal that undermines companies that are actually competing on security and privacy. So I think if I'm, you know, Mr. Cook and I'm thinking about we're driving security and privacy into the ecosystem of uh, the mobile device and now in effect someone's saying don't do that, stop doing that. Uh, the message is you know, has unintended consequences counterproductive for everyone who has been following what all of our security agencies have been saying for 20 years. In fact, build it in. In fact, please compete on security and privacy. So I think we have to rationalize um, both of these very important pieces, both competition policy and security and privacy policy. And in my mind here, because we are talking about policies which are choices, make the choices that don't undermine the information infrastructure globally. And I think it's, you know, we're sitting in a situation where uh, the last month we all have been reminded by the conflict uh, in Ukraine and Russia's invasion of, of, of Ukraine, that these cyber issues are quite real. And, you know, we have the president of the United States and for the past 15 years, we really have had attention to cyber issues from the heads of the US and the UK and France and Russia and China and India and Japan have, these have been issues which the top leadership, the heads of state of all of these countries have spent a lot of time on. And so these are non-trivial issues that can't just be underappreciated when we're making uh, some economic policy or uh, competition policy. They must be fully, um, fully understood. So um, that's sort of my view on these is that um, you have to apply the screen and, and really not do anything that uh, predictably would undermine the security and privacy of the infrastructure or cause people to, uh, to stop doing what we, I think, rightfully have been driving into the infrastructure. Thank you for noting all these other governments besides our own that are, are really driving this idea of we need security as a priority. And um, going back to your piece you did in Dark Reading, you also mentioned we have the Shields Up campaign you know, that's going on, which is DHS. 
but we have the NSA, NIST, GSA, and several of the cybersecurity agencies you mentioned globally making this important. And citizens are feeling really challenged around the access to truthful information, the technological underpinning of the you know economy, and you mentioned the national security that you know these the, the whole system can be trusted, not just their device. And security around software is definitely bigger than apps. Uh, when you were mentioning physical infrastructure, you think about all the times that you know I'm sort of doing right across the street from me right now. You know they're 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 doing something to hopefully make the situation better. And we want to know that when we're putting that new software on the device, be it enterprise or your phone, that it's making the situation better, maybe patching. So I think the trust of the ecosystem is, is a hard thing to measure, but it's so vital to where we're headed in all this and that we're moving forward, not backwards. Give us an idea of what you have uh, going on in the horizon because we want to follow the work that you're doing. Shane, I think you're exactly right. Look, I think the, the, the trust issue is um, just multidimensional and you have to get to a place where we move away from the siloed approach to try to get to uh, what is trusted. So it is software, it is software development, but it's also hardware uh, development practices. It's supply chain. It's the it's the privacy engineering that's built into the product and service. It's what is a the corporate governance structure around security and privacy. How many people are you dedicating towards internal security practices to recognize vulnerabilities in products before they're shipped? How many people do you have that are hunting for vulnerabilities or that are on the team that responds to vulnerabilities found by you or found by security researchers? What is the process of actually putting out fixes for vulnerabilities and making sure that patching can happen as easy when you look at your distribution chain to figure out how your customers allow their customers in order to embed uh, fixes. It's who has the right to stop a product from being shipped before you're shipping something with security vulnerabilities. It's what is it's what government regulations govern your company. That is, are you if you're doing business in the US or the UK or India or China or Russia, what are the requirements for you to do business in those countries? What is what is your response to some of those requirements and asks of you as a company? Uh, what are your relationships with governments in order to secure the infrastructure around the world that is to raise the security level to, of all boats uh, in the security um, in the security infrastructure ocean. All of those things are really important when we think out what this trusted future looks like and how to deal with it in a holistic way. So, the simple answer to your to your very good question is actually both complex and simple. The complex things are all of those things I just talked about. The simple way is that we need tractable indicators of trust that allow us to get to something that allows producers to show whether it's a lead like like set of best practices, the uh, leadership in energy and environmental design, where buildings say that we're you know, lead certified green um, or some self set of best practices that fits what we're trying to do at Trusted Future and the framework we're trying to build out. Um, and that users can also turn to 
in order to cut through the hundreds of data points that one would use to come to a holistic view uh, to some tractable uh, number. So that's what we're trying to get to. That's what we're trying to build build out is boiling down this trust to from something that gives you a gestalt or, or gut view about it to something that gives you a more objective and tractable way to understand whether you should trust this product, service, or company. You've definitely given us a lot to think about. Thank you for being a guest today on Explain to Shane. I'm sure we will be following your work, and I just really appreciate that you're taking the time to put this together because I think it's important to our future. Thanks, Shane. It's really been a great pleasure to be with you again. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.